Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, for all hearts here this morning that are struggling to see how it is that you are overcoming, I pray that you will give us such a a vision of you present to us that we'll have no doubt that you are real and that you are acting on our behalf. In your name we pray, amen. So glad to be with you this morning. As always, it's such an encouragement for me to see all of your faces. That's the, one of the great advantages to preaching is you get to just see so many faces of people that you love. And that just makes me happy to be here with you. Part of the way that we know that Jesus is overcoming is we see it in the eyes of the faces of the people who are looking at us here, brothers and sisters who say, I see Jesus overcoming in your life. We need that. We need it so often. Um, We're going to be thinking and exploring together, pondering the words of Jesus who says, I have overcome the world. You have tribulation in this world, but don't worry, don't fear, take heart. I have overcome the world. I was kind of reminded of uh, pictures you, you may have seen too of the liberation of Holland in, uh, after World War II. You ever see those kind of pictures? of the streets just flooded with people. And, you know, there's soldier, American soldiers running through the town, and there's tanks, and there's kids on it, and there's flags everywhere, and you just, it doesn't take long before looking at those pictures, and your heart almost just wells up with joy as well, because you can imagine that what it must have been like, you know, May 10th, 1940, German occupation. And you may have seen those pictures, too, of these overbearing Nazi soldiers, you know, goose-stepping their way into, into the streets of Amsterdam, sending fear, just the look of them, the domination of all these public places. It was occupation. And the searching of the private homes and the closures and, and force and this kind of jail-like atmosphere descended over Holland on May 10th of 1940. And you can see pictures of that too. And then the contrast, five long years later, five long years, five long years of the resistance, five long years of pushing back the darkness, five long years leading towards storming the beaches of Normandy and the sacrifice of life there and finally making it to Amsterdam and Holland and the cities set free and all of those places of occupation now are scenes of this immeasurable, exuberant joy. The enemy has been overcome. The enemy has been overcome. And they knew it. They knew it before May 5th of 1945 because those people who had smuggled in radios and can kind of skit snatches, bits and pieces of news were spreading it around. They, they took Normandy. They're coming. They're marching. They're getting closer. They already knew it was a matter of time. The enemy had been overcome, not by the Dutch people on their own, but by others on their behalf. The Dutch were given access back to their own country because the powers of evil had been conquered by another government, by a stronger power. 
I just was kind of filled with those images in part because I was thinking about what it's like to have Jesus overcoming for us. Because we're a little bit like the Dutch, the streets and the neighborhoods and the free places in our own hearts and in our relationships have been occupied by sin and the enemy. It's an occupied place. And we're not strong enough to free ourselves. We're just like the Dutch people living in that jail-like prison. However, whereas the occupying forces that once isolated us from our neighbors and worked through fear and suspicion and treachery, Jesus has conquered that place. That's what we know to be true. He's working now and the forces of liberation are at work in our hearts and those streets and those neighborhoods inside of us, they're getting cleaned out of the occupying forces. He did this when he died on the cross and rose again. All the dark powers, you know, we've been following Jesus through his life and ministry in the Gospel of John and all those dark powers that kind of start to work against him and aggregate around him and start to foment and they, they just coalesce around Jesus at that, at, at that moment of terrible darkness and death on the cross. They were defeated. They were the ones that died fully. And Jesus, when he rose again, won the victory. Jesus isn't dead. That's the thing. We know this. I'm just saying what we already know. Jesus isn't dead. He's alive. Jesus is actually really alive. He's not just a figment of our imagination. We're not just kind of making this up. He's actually, literally, truly, right now, at this very present moment, alive. And what that means is that he lives with us in a new and more powerful way than could ever have been imagined before that happened. Jesus is actually not just alive somewhere. He's alive here among us. He's alive here within us. And just like those Dutch kids were running through the streets along with the American soldiers, we have a savior just walking right into those places of occupation. He's our king. He's granted us the right to life and the confidence to stand where that enemy tank was. Now I can stand right there, and I'm not afraid. I would have been terrified to stand there during the occupation, but now I can stand right there and reclaim that ground as my own because I'm standing with the guy that conquered it for me. Jesus has overcome the world. Our challenge this morning is do we believe it? And that's the hard part, isn't it? There is a reason Jesus had to tell his disciples this, right? If they already knew it, it probably would have not had so much power for them, but they were feeling overwhelmed by tribulation. And we might be say, saying to ourselves this morning, Jesus says, take heart. I've overcome the world, but we may be thinking, but, but Jesus, I, I don't know how. I don't know how to take it to heart. My heart is not taken. I know it in my mind, but my heart doesn't feel it yet. 
And see, this, this is partly, growing up in an American culture, we think we should correct Jesus' words a little bit. We think that Jesus should have said this. I have overcome the world, therefore you shall have no tribulation. Doesn't that sound better? <laughs> Doesn't that make much more sense? Like if you were editing the manuscript, you would have read line through that one. <laughs> you got that mixed up, Jesus. I have overcome the world, therefore you shall have no tribulation. But that's not what he says. He says, he says things to us that sound strange. He says we will have tribulation, but at the same time, and I won't quote all the verses here, but these just come from John's gospel or his letters. We shall have tribulation, but we shall have joy. We shall have peace. We shall overcome. And that's the reality. That's what Jesus has promised to us. Joy in tribulation, peace in tribulation, and actually the overcoming of the tribulation. How can all this be true? How can you have one thing and the other, not one thing or the other? How can that be true? Doesn't one cancel out the other? Doesn't tribulation cancel out joy and peace? Don't they contradict each other? What are we supposed to do with this? Well, we understand the experience of tribulation quite well. We're familiar with it. It's something that comes along with the territory of being a child of the king. We ought to expect it, Jesus says, because now when we're like Jesus, we're gonna experience the opposition of the enemy like he did. And so the way we feel that is all kinds of ways. One important way is we feel the enemy challenging our identity, who we are, who you are and what you're about as a child of God and a follower of Jesus Christ, the enemy wants to undercut that. He wants to say, you aren't a child of God. He wants to say, no, you're not. He wants to say all the time, you aren't anything. You aren't anyone. You don't belong to anyone. You're nothing special and you don't matter one bit and you're going nowhere. That's the constant pressure of the enemy in your mind. And of course, we find that very easy to believe for all kinds of reasons. And what Jesus says over and over and over again, right in the very first chapter of the gospel, he says, you have a right to become a child of God if you believe in me. A right, it's very strong. And this metaphor of being a child of God, well, it's not even a metaphor, it's a reality. But Jesus uses this phrase a lot in his ministry. You are a child of God. I love the way he says it in chapter 16, verse 18. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I mean, it's just so strong. But the enemy tries to resist that and say, no, you're not. There's another kind of pressure the enemy brings against us, which is the pressure against whatever you do that's good. Because when we do what's right, what's just, what's good, we're doing it in the name of the Lord, who is himself goodness and justice. And any time you're a follower, that's the, the great, you know, the, we talk about the disciples. And you, the disciple just means somebody who walks in footsteps. The rabbis used to say you should have the dust of the shoes of your rabbi on you because you're following that closely. I like, that's a disciple, that's a follower. And when you're a follower, you are on the move. 
Being a disciple is not a sit there kind of a thing, it's a walking kind of a thing. And when you advance with Christ, you're advancing against the work of the enemy. You're not a neutral player here. You know, that's something that should probably be emphasized. You're not neutral. You're not on the sidelines. You're not unimportant. As a follower of Jesus Christ, you're in the game. And you're gonna get opposition from the enemy against that and you ought to expect that and you ought to know that when you advance with Christ, you're advancing against the work of the enemy and you will experience resistance. Now, the enemy's tactic is to scatter you. We hear that word scatter a lot at Light of Christ. The enemy wants to scatter us but what the Lord does is he scatters the enemy. He scatters the darkness. We hear this from our Old Testament reading. If you look there um, in Jeremiah, it says that, uh, that the, 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 the corrupt leadership of Israel has caused Israel to scatter. And that's the work of the enemy. It's to pull you apart internally in what you think about yourself and also in your relationships. Just break everything. That's what the enemy does. He's a mirror smasher. He loves to throw plates on the ground. And he just loves the impact of that. He just loves to see things broken beyond repair. And Jesus actually said to the disciples in our reading too, he said in this moment after, during Jesus' crucifixion, he said, you too are gonna be scattered. He says that in verse 32. Indeed, the hour has come when you will also be scattered. But Jesus tries to say that's not the work of the enemy is to bring you back in and to restore and to reconcile. And the enemy will work hard to pull you apart. He's gonna attack your identity and who you are. He's gonna try to pull apart things that ought to be left together, and then the last way we experience it, or a third way, I should say, there are many ways, it's just the normal old effects of living in a fallen world. We get ill, we have financial pressures, we have negative pressures at work, people that don't like us, disappointments and setbacks. It's just the sand and the machinery of living in a world that hasn't yet been fully remade. And living with ourselves and other people who sin, that's just part of the pressure that the enemy will work into our lives constantly to make sure that we're not feeling the effects of being a conquering people. Now, we're familiar with these things. We can all probably preach a lot of sermons on what it's like to feel (laughs) that way. In this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, Jesus says, I've overcome the world. And the challenge for us is that oftentimes we're far more familiar with the tribulation and much less familiar with the overcoming. And that's one reason why we gather here together every week. It's to become more familiar with the experience of overcoming. And I want to challenge all of us that part of our discipleship is a commitment, actually, to experience Jesus, the overcomer, The way we experience overcoming is to experience the presence of Jesus Christ. That's the only difference between the experience of tribulation and the experience of overcoming is to actually experience and enjoy a relationship with Jesus Christ that's real.
I was at a business gathering this week, and, and uh, the, the leader of this business gathering asked us to go around and, and, and to say, hey, what's your, what's your kind of life statement? It's kind of an odd question to ask right on the spot. You know, mostly we're like, whoa, that's pretty heavy. But he had one already prepared, and his life statement was just, just be. And uh, it sounded really nice. He said, you know, I, he said, I'm an anxious person, and, and, and it's just important for me. When I, guess I, just, I just tell him to just, just be. It's kind of mindfulness, you know, that's kind of in right now. And he tells his kids when they're anxious, just be. Well, <laughs> it sounds really great. Um, and there's a degree of truth in that. It's nice just, you know, take a deep breath, you know, it's going to be okay. You know, that kind of self-soothing is really important. Uh, <laughs> but I happened to be taking him back to the airport l- later that week, and his flight got canceled. And... I, I, I can't quote everything that happened there, but he was not just being at that moment, let me tell you that. <laughs> um, that's different than what Jesus is saying. He's saying, just believe. Do you see the difference there? Just be, be what? I'm already being and it's not working out so great. I, want, I have to believe because Jesus is the one that makes all the difference. Jesus is saying something that actually matters to, some, to us in respect to all the other tribulation we're feeling. What he's saying to us is he says, look, I know who you are. You personally, I know who you are. I'm with you all the time, Jesus says. He says to us, and we hear him saying it when we're with him, he says, I am going to win in your life. That's what he says. I'm going to win in your life. And he says, you have a purpose. He says, I know who you are. In, In John chapter 15, verse 16, he says it so clearly. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I chose you. He says, you are sheep of my flock. You're children in my family. Here's from verse 27 of our reading. You can look at it. Listen to this. For the Father himself loves you. I just want to pause on that for a minute. Do you know that? I mean, that just sounds like a preacher made that up. (laughs) That's what preachers say. I'm quoting here. The Father himself, that's an emphasis, Jesus is saying. The Father himself loves you. You just ought to close your eyes for a minute and let, imagine Jesus just saying that. The Father loves you. And say that to yourself. The Father loves me. The Father himself. There's no higher one than that. That's what Jesus says. That's what I believe. God knows who you are. Jesus will say this I'm with you all the time. All the time. This is a little bit of what's behind verse 28 in our gospel reading. I came from the Father and have come into the world. That Father who loves you, I came from there, and I've come into this world in order to show you that I am with you all the time. 
I'm with you all the time. And contrary to the enemy of our souls, who's always alone, actually, he's probably the most lonely being ever, Jesus says this very interesting thing. I don't think he says it anywhere else than in our passage here. He says, I am not alone. I'm never alone. Jesus is the opposite of loneliness. He's never alone. He's always in fellowship with the Father. And when we're with Jesus, we are never, ever alone. We are never in the presence of anyone who's lonely when we're in the presence of Jesus. And he's giving us that sweet fellowship that he's enjoying as well. I'm with you all the time. Jesus says to us, I am going to win in your life. I have overcome the world. The enemy can take nothing from you that God is not able to restore to you. You can never have failed so completely that God cannot renew and restore what was lost and forgive you. It's the testimony of the scripture all the way through. You cannot have done anything so horribly wrong that Jesus has not already said in Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. I have separated your sin from you as far as the east is from the west. I am gonna win in your life. Jesus has overcome the resistance on every dimension because he became a person just like us. He accepted the resistance in its fullest power. He accepted the penalty of our sin and died on behalf of us and rose again, showing that he's conquered everything, all the resistance, all the oppression, all the pressure, all the affliction, all the sin. He did it not just by talking, but by dying on the cross and rising again. It's real. He really did that and he really lives again. And so I just wanna ask us in our appeal to Jesus' words this morning, trust in him. Just like that. Trust in him. Don't just be, believe. Trust his words. What does he say? He says, I chose you. I know you. I save you. I'm winning in your life. Place your trust in what he's doing. He's working in your life to make it fruitful. He's working all things together for your good, is what the Apostle Paul says. Trust that what he's doing right now is he's winning in your life to overcome the things that you've done, sin, to overcome the consequences of what the enemy's done, of living in a fallen world, he's overcoming all of that in your life. Trust that God is fulfilling his promise to bless you and attend to the things that matter to you. In our Old Testament reading, Israel was scattered all over the place. They got conquered. They were a conquered people. They got taken away from the, from the, from the land of promise. And God said, I'm going to bring you back. And he did. He still is. 
trust his words, trust what he's doing, and trust him in the moment where it's hard. Trust him in the moment of fear and doubt. Say that whenever I am afraid, I will trust in you, O Lord. In the moment of helplessness, say, when I am weak, then you are strong. In the moment of defeat, say, I am more than a conqueror through him who loves me. It's expressing your trust. There's no formula for winning your own battles and your own strength. We just don't have a formula like that. The only way is to have faith in the one who will win the battle for you. And this comes from John's letter in our readings this morning. He says in 1 John 5, 4, this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Because the enemy just can't do anything about that. When you have faith in the overcoming one, that's how the Lord is winning a victory in the world, through you. When you stand and trust you'll see that it changes something in the way that you approach things. When you trust Christ in that moment, you'll just begin to see that issues in your family, in your marriage, in your friendships, at work, the people who make you afraid or angry, when you trust in Christ at that moment, you'll see that not only have you changed, but because you've changed, things change around you. Trust isn't trying to act harder. It's actually placing your faith not in yourself or in anyone else but fully in God who has told you that he is with you and is working for you and he's winning in your life. I'll close with this. I, one of my favorite paintings is an icon of Christ's descent into Hades. It's a, it's a really great picture. You'll have to Google it. Um, it shows Christ kind of trampling the graves. The graves are open up and you can see all kinds of bad things down there and he's just standing right there with his feet there and the cross is always in, in the picture right near him and he's got one hand holding Adam's hand, pulling him out of the coffin and he's got one hand on Eve's hand pulling him out of the coffin and all the saints from the Old and New Testaments are kind of standing around watching and cheering and Jesus is lifting them right up like that. And what I want us to be able to do to express our faith is to be like Adam and Eve. I want you to open your hands that are filled with all the things that are troubling you, the, the doubts, the concerns, the mistakes, failures, the sins, all of it. I just want you to open that and, and place it with Jesus where it belongs. He took all of it He's got so much capacity to take all that stuff. And with open hands, then you can receive what he's got for you. That's faith. Faith is saying, Jesus, I'm giving to you everything. That's putting your faith in him. Just put it all there. And then what you can do is you can allow him to take your hands just like he did with Adam and Eve and pull you up. What are you holding in your hands that's a burden? Is there a fear, a source of anger? Jesus doesn't say really all the nature of the tribulation. It's not important. What he says is give it to me. I'll take it. I'm gonna win in your life. Fear not, says Jesus. 
I have overcome the world. Amen.